there and we are going to start. Um, thank you everybody for tuning in to listen. I can only assume that a whole dozen people are listening to this right now that we're reaching an audience, maybe numbering in the tens or in the teens. So um, by way of introduction, um, I'm Kitsune. Uh, I, if you're here, you probably have followed me on Twitter and uh, have read some of my writings. I put out a staggering amount of one article a month, you know, really very productive, very uh, proliferate. Um, in my in my day job, I work for a uh, crypto fintech. I work a lot in strategy and, and success. Um, and then in my spare time, I think and I write a lot about governance, um, none of which is really important or for any of this because I doubt I'll be talking about any of that. Um, but what I think is important, the only thing I wanted to touch on is um, before I was in crypto, I was a bartender for a really long time. And one of the things I loved most about that was the conversations that I got to have unexpectedly um, and kind of without direction that all ended up kind of at unexpected and, and wonderful places and went a long way to expanding my viewpoint and, and my my thoughts and, and what I was interested in. And I think crypto Twitter has a lot of that as well. I think that's very similar. So I wanted to start um, kind of just an interview series because, you know, it's like when you think of great interviewers, it's like, you know, Howard Stern, David Letterman, and then me, like a autistic uh, anime Fox fanboy on the internet, probably all line up to be the best interviewers in the game. Um, and and very graciously, um, self-deprecation aside, very graciously, uh, our first guest, which sounds so proper, that sounds so fine uh, and real, is uh, Carnation. Uh, so. Karn, if you want to like give a little brief introduction of yourself, uh, I'm sure, I mean, you have a much bigger following than me. Your engagement is incredible. So I'm sure people tuning who are listening to this are much more familiar with who you are than who I am. But yeah, if you just want to give like a little brief intro sure. to yourself. Yeah, so I'm actually very new to crypto Twitter. Um, started in maybe November of 2021, and I sort of just took on a personality of its own. And um, since then, I've been talking to a lot of people, and it's really a wonderful place. I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, I'm sure we'll get into the details later, but recently I've decided to um, stop my IRL work commitments and go crypto full-time. So now I am the yield and treasury manager over at Umami Finance, as well as some um, other cool side DGEM projects that are in the works. Um, it's funny. I think that we kind of started in crypto Twitter at the same time, or at least you were like one of the first people I was really aware of um, who kind of had like a, uh, I don't know, like an authentic voice and personality and, and sense of self. Um, and, you know, kind of shamelessly, now that we're through like the I don't know, like the serious introduction stuff, like very shamelessly, I, mm. I really deliberately kind of wanted to um, like be your friend and like get to know you. Like, do you, do you remember when we first met or met oh, is a funny yeah, term? No, I, I'm just thinking about it now. I don't know if I had to guess, it was probably over one of Indigo's um, fanboy stummy posts. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it is very shameful, you know, like uh, arguably some of the greatest minds uh, in the space right now just probably meet overdoing like fanboy shit posting because that's the meta and that, or 
at least it was a meta at the time. Um, and I think now it's kind of evolved. I, I've said before, is like a cultural signifier of, um, you know, being kind of this like anti-trad, very degen persona is like, well, if you post femboy shit, then you're clearly not, you know, some Patagonia um, vest wearing motherfucker. Uh, oh, for sure. <laughs> I was just curious, you know, it's, and it is funny. I feel like our first encounters, our first um, kind of sessions of bonding were much less around anything to do with cryptocurrency or, or, or web three, but so much more to do with poetry. Yeah. Um, which is kind of an organic, an organic segue, I guess, like, you know, why, why poetry um, as like, as like the, you know, a weird subculture on crypto Twitter, like, where do you think that comes from that, like fascination with poetry? I think it's really about trying to get to, you know, the bottom of things like um, this whole game in the markets, these numbers, like they look real, but there's a lot going on beneath the surface and for whatever reason we attract a bunch of really introspective people as well as people who are really deep into thinking and it's like i guess it sort of comes naturally that we sort of examine the world around us with that same analytical mindset like no matter where we look and poetry just seems to be one of those things that oh i noticed something today like let me try to express it in a way and um make it fun right because well i don't know um people think poetry is creative but in a way it's actually quite rigid there are all these like rules and forms you have to follow mm -hmm. and that actually makes it a lot of fun um so you know like the number of syllables the rhymes like everything fits really nicely together and i think um we I mean, I put it out there and it's nice because I know people like you who understand these things, you appreciate the amount of depth that actually went into it. I know also like just appreciating like the words and rhythm itself on the surface is nice, but I feel like actually on CT, like people have the ability to see really deep into it and some of the stuff, it resonates with them, I think. I think that's so true. You know, and it's funny, like the analytical side of things is something that doesn't always occur to me right away with poetry. And, you know, I wonder, like, do you think there's also an element of, like, the romanticism to mm. it, right? Like, there is something inherently kind of wistful and questing and, and yearning about poetry um, in the same way that I think there is something kind of romantic in the aspirations that so many people yes. hold for, uh, mm. you know, a, a decentralized future, a, a, a an egalitarian finance, something that I think both of them are, are very much tied to a dissatisfaction with the way that things work in everyday life, right? Like I think mm -hmm. that poetry is an outlet in the same way like developing in in DeFi as, as an outlet are both, you know, rooted in this sense of like, my life should be different or my rich interior world does not match the mm -hmm. world that has been proscribed for me, right? Like, yeah. I, that that seems to also be a common thread to me. It's like and 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 you know when we started uh, when you and I first started talking about our our poetry club, um, I was really genuinely surprised at the amount of people on crypto Twitter who were like past poetry uh, appreciators or who were writing poetry very quietly by themselves, um, mm -hmm. and just it never crossed over into. Um, 
you know, kind of the the quote unquote mainstream of of what crypto Twitter is. Not to be clear, not that I think we're in the the mainstream at all. I think <laughs> um, I don't. I think there's a lot of people. There's a lot of you know six figure accounts out there that are what we might consider the mainstream, but mm-hmm. certainly in in the echo chamber that I feel like we occupy, it felt very significant that so many people were engaged with poetic thought or pro- poetic practice to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I think you really hit a point there, like romanticism and um, idealism. Like we're all here because we see the future for what it could be. Um, and we're largely dissatisfied with the way it is now. Like I certainly am like a few years ago. Um, well, two years ago, the whole reason I got into crypto was the pandemic lockdown started and I was pretty deep into poverty, right? Like I can live, but um my savings and everything are all completely dry and that was like not really any way to exist in the world like it wasn't a good place to be um and yeah once i found crypto what it meant to me was that um i can use my own skills and talent to come up with strategies and uh you know like and seeing it pay off it's like yeah like this is a world where i can actually be effective. I can be an agent of change, you know, to the minimum, it's an agent of change in my own life. And um, ho- hopefully, like, as we go in the space and gather more influence and, you know, like friends, we can start to actually implement some of our ideas for the general public. And that's a really lofty goal. And I think along the way, um, the poems we write, or the articles we put out are sort of a call to arms in a way another way is just to put out our spirit and inspiration out there for everyone to see that if they're having similar thoughts in their heads that they're really not alone um yeah i think there's so much to dive into with that i mean you touch on so many things there and and there's so which is amazing you know i think it's it's there is it's just kind of speaks to the nature of of our space, and I think it speaks a lot to you as an, an individual and the way you identify it. You know, very transparently, I I also really went deep into crypto at the start of um, the pandemic lockdowns for largely the you know largely the same reasons um, for you know figuring out how do I exist in this world, how do I live, how do you live without? Uh, I think the main thing being kind of enthrall to an economic system that isn't built for you, mm-hmm. and and I think you know. Crypto tends to attract outsider personalities as well as poetry, right? It tends to both tend to attract uh, a kind of a person who feels at odds with the reality that they're meant to live in. And and before we, because I want to, I mean, there's so much to cover in terms of your original work um, and your your kind of uh, strategic work <laughs> that I really want to cover because it's usually sewn over my head. I, I mean, there's nothing like getting a, a DM from you and being like, hey, I've got some I got some new alpha to share and it's like totally something I've never fucking heard of or, or, you know, that I've ever even considered. But I think before touching on that, I was going to ask, like, do you feel, you know, when you, you got into this world, uh, this crypto world over these last like two and a half years, do you feel like you approached it with a kind of, um, I don't want to say like deliberate narrative or deliberate, deliberate mindset, but you have kind of a very established, um, personal brand and like a personal aesthetic style mm. of writing, style of speech, um, way that you 
approach others. I was wondering, like, is was there any, you know, I, I there are some people who have very um, clearly considered kind of entry points, and and yes. you're this this you know not to use the word character, but this like. Mm -hmm being that is carnation what was kind of like your how did how did you as a person in this space come about sure yeah so um i guess as with everything in life it's a little entangled and it's hard to separate into neat little categories or boxes so basically um there are two points i touch on one is that it's absolutely all very real and sincere and two is that it's absolutely a game and everything is calculated. So how does that work? Um, well, that is so that is so fucking on the money. That is <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let no, me just first say yeah. like everything I say, like I it absolutely comes from the heart and the mind and the soul. Because for a very long time in real life, I don't feel like I was expressing myself very truly or authentically, like a lot of my thoughts and everything and they had nowhere to go like it's like screaming into the void and there isn't even a void to catch my voice and yeah. so essentially on crypto twitter when i started um it was sort of a promise to myself that i'd be whoever i wanted to be and to just do whatever it is that i wanted to do like you know like free speech right like let's just have it out there you know like um my real identity isn't attached to this account so i can just mm -hmm let it really roam free and so in that sense like yeah it's all um the three words are like honest direct unfiltered that's how i want it to be and yeah. so far i think i really satisfied myself to the degree that i was able to do that um and on the other end you know like it was all very calculated and gamed in the sense that um when i was growing up my dad was a business person and where we um, originated from, you know, like business was very much a social game. There were norms you followed, you mm -hmm, know, like mm -hmm. there were pleasantries, a certain way to do things. Um, you approach people like with goals, but you also have to make sure um, you align your incentives, whether that's just through, you know, good negotiations or sometimes down to things we'd consider like under the table deals or bribing but then again like it sounds a little unsavory but i think overall that's how humans work like i think this, that's so yeah, yeah yeah i mean that makes a ton of sense can i can i ask like sure. this idea of of authenticity is something i i like to connect to the idea mm -hmm. of uh sincerity and i think you know there's a kind of sincerity is almost sometimes a dirty word, but like the idea of sincerity in, in being genuine in affect, but also genuine in, in intention and, and genuine yes. in, in, in your voice. I, and, you know, obviously our space is not rife with sincerity and, and that's mm -hmm. kind of like a super, you know, self-explanatory, I'm not saying anything new there, mm -hmm. right? Like there's scammers and people who have different identities and there are people who rug and there are people who LARP, et cetera. <laughs> um, but there are, I think particularly in our, corner of the space, there are people who you could say are very um, sincere in the sense that they are not changing themselves very much, right? Like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. pulling someone just totally off the top of my head, I, I feel like uh, Lawrence Day is like a great example, like just totally <laughs> unabashedly <laughs> publicly himself, but in the same way, like, so are people like, 
I don't know, like Nose Drop or God King or 48, these people who are, who are just like super, you know, blunt representations of themselves. Um, yes. Where it like differentiates for me is like you have a, a, eleg a elegance, a grace, a kind of um, kindness in your sincerity that I think is, is really what made you and makes you stand out, right? Like right. You, assuming everyone's intentions are good is I think a very difficult thing to do. And I think a lot of what you've built on is, you know, really being in yourself a very sincere and, and genuine person. Like, and certainly in the way that I, not to just have this be a whole thing of talking how cool I think you are, but uh, you know, the way that you choose to spend your time with people, you're very open with people. Mm -hmm. Do you think like, people responded to that more than, you know, any yes. alpha or any writing. Is yes. it that, is your sincerity maybe the kind of like sure. root of your success? And okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ramble a little bit, but I think there is actually a very deep hole we can go into. And um, this is also potentially alfalfa for dealing with people. <laughs> so I've taken this um, leadership course and in one of the lessons, it's like, um, how do you properly listen to people? And I really liked um, how it was presented. So what I learned from the class was um, we can roughly categorize listening to, let's say, three levels. So level one, listening, is just paying attention to the words that someone is speaking. So for example, in a classroom, if you were doing a level one listening, you heard what the teacher said. They said, you know, this assignment was due on that date. Okay, you remembered or you noted down and you paid attention. That's all good. You understood the words. So like below that is, you know, when let's say partners fight, it's because um, one wasn't even paying attention. One was being distracted um, and the words didn't even register in their brain. So that's like not listening or level zero listening. Um, and level two listening, it's starting to get beyond the physical meaning of listening. So here, we're um, observing people when they talk. We're observing the things that go unsaid. So one way to put it is like reading between the lines or um, you know, understanding what is not being said, what is just being implied. And this is a level that most people with some thought and training and concentration, they can reach like pretty decently. Um, and it's a very useful skill. But the next level beyond that, I think, is where the magic starts. Um, so level three listening is when you listen to someone or converse with them, you're not even focused on the words anymore. You're trying to figure out. Um, so I like to always bring it back to like the three main things. It's like hopes, dreams, and biggest fears trying to understand, you know, the essence of this person's being, like what their purpose of existence was and what their largest, you know, pain points and suffering is. And once you see someone that way, you've understood them in a way that probably no one else in their life ever has, right? So I've had many experiences where I just meet with strangers, like just, you know, on travels or in events and things just kick off and we talk for a night and they've often say at the end of it that you know that was the most genuine and deepest connection they ever had with someone and it's with me a total and absolute stranger and it's also magic for me like chances are we never meet and talk again but it leaves their life leaves an impression on me sure. and i believe 
my listening left an impression on them and how I would phrase that experience is um, we're bearing witness to their soul. I think a lot of what drives humans is not that we need our problems solved. We just want someone to witness our suffering and acknowledge that we're trying our best. Can I, I mean, that's right. That is the fundamental human desire. And I, and mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, I've, have experienced those moments myself and they've been incredibly impactful. Can mm -hmm. I ask, do you, how do you think that plays in the virtual realm, right? We're not face-to-face mm -hmm. -face with people. We're not sitting at a, you know, we're not sitting in an airport bar having uh, a conversation with a total stranger who we can even, you know, witness and perceive and, and judge their like body language um, or make inferences. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you achieve that level of connection? Um, oftentimes not even uh, uh, speaking, right, but but typing, like, wait, yes. you know, how does that process occur in the digital space? Right. So anyone who's ever talked to me, like, on text, they know um, how I write. I write in scrambled little chunks, um, like, often, like, very long paragraphs, but broken over 100 DMs. That's also why I get Twitter <laughs> jailed a lot, because Twitter thinks I'm a spam bot. Um, and so how we create connection to me, I feel like it's just, um, you know, like reacting in some way. Mm -hmm. So I really like Twitter well, as, as well as Discord because you can um, react to the things people say and, you know, with a wide range of emotes or the little stickers. Um, and yeah, and I think that makes people um, feel like they've, seeing you read what they write in real time and reacting mm -hmm. to it, sort of like how we have body language. Um, totally, totally. You know, life. it's funny. That is, I mean, that is literally the origin of like the Japanese chat room emoticons mm -hmm. and emojis that, that predated yeah. things, you know, the old IRC language. Um, <laughs> right, like we want to show people, um, I don't know if you've seen what the, the Zoomers are doing with this. This is now like, as this is now I'm going to sound like an old man, shit, but um, <laughs> people are, people have started incorporating um, like tone indicators into messages online to imply, you know, oh, am I being sarcastic? Am I being genuine oh, with this? What is yeah, my tone? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think it is an interesting solution to the problem, but I mean, yeah, really without heart reacts, there's very little to know of how someone reacted to something. And it is, you know, it is interesting. I'm sure. Mm eventually we'll all be in VR chat and we'll be able to emote to a more expressive degree, but that these indicators are used to kind of show right. and, and make connection and, and talk for lack mm. of a better term, like no longer with our hands um, right. or with our bodies, but with, but with kind of secondary or, or graphical, yeah. um, you know, methods. I mean, and I, that's, yeah. That's a small part of it. I want to say like, well, first of all, like I haven't met anyone who used these things as often as I do. Um, so maybe in that sense, like I'm really trying to be expressive. But the other one is um, just through text or talking to someone, like the most important part to make sure that the other person feels understood is you being able to repeat back to them what it is they said in different words, you know, that shows that you've been paying attention, that you've been listening, and you've understood it enough that you can phrase it in your, uh, again, like in your own words. Um, and the second one is to be able to ask people really deep questions to push them really far. Like, it doesn't have to be complicated questions. It's like, you know, why do you say that? Why do you think that? What effect did that have on you? That's like, so... Do 
That is Probe so them. interesting. Yes. <laughs> and so telling because yeah. that is, um, that is something you do a lot. Like when mm -hmm. we talk um, mm -hmm. and it is, it makes for like a really engaged and active conversation. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it is one, and it's also one of those things like you don't really notice. I, I think, you know, if there was one thing I ever learned, it's that people just generally really want to talk about themselves mm, in a way sure. that feels organic and natural. Mm. And those kind of like clarifying questions or uh, reiterations are really an invitation to people to talk about themselves mm. or to talk about their ideas or expound on it. Um, right. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's funny I, hearing that expressed because it is very much, you know, having experienced it uh, mm -hmm. from you several times, it is it is funny. Yeah, and if I can add one more point to that, it's um, you know, like we're surrounded by people who are very much like us, like you said, you know, it's kind of an echo chamber. So something that I really like to do, like it's actually fun for me, is to play the other side. Like I'll mm -hmm. playfully say, let me be the devil's advocate here and I will challenge you on all your assumptions in absolutely the kindest way, right? But it's like, let's explore these ideas down to as far as our minds could take. And that means someone has to sort of take the other side and question everything. Without um, blowing up a thing that is, I think, still technically supposed to be relatively secret. But you and I are members of a of one of those stereotypical, like shadowy <laughs> crypto Twitter groups that people always joke about existing, even though ours, I feel mm. like, is is more of a shit posting engine than anything else. Um, but within like these like niche groups, you know, do you feel that you get to drop one layer when you're in them? Like, for example, if we're in our uh like group chat with with mm. the rest of the degenerates we know do you feel that there is a proximity there that is removed from even your like public posting persona do you feel like more at ease with these people um yes and no right mm. um like i would say uh it's like talking in public versus talking in private with someone like mm -hmm. in a group chat or a group discord it's like halfway in between like if everyone you know there is someone you've had private conversations with then it's just a sort of like a party like a gathering with friends but you know like if there are people who you don't really know there like it sort of links more towards just in public um mm -hmm. i'm not saying i would be more careful around what i post but it's like um you know like we have these automatic thoughts that are sometimes incomplete or it could be uh, misconstrued in some way <laughs> just bad takes basically um, sometimes even really bad humor bad takes you're kidding me no way <laughs> i look as someone who loves giving bad takes and and bad humor i i mean i i think that is it's really recognizable i think i think it's interesting just the way mm. people approach it um and i think maybe i would even feel differently if i felt like i had more to contribute in a uh in like a more tangible practical sense i, I mean you know it is it is always kind of crypto Twitter is very much that first day at school feeling kind of again and again and again, because <laughs> uh, there's like some, you know, there are like popular kids, there are icons, there are people that do very specific things. Um, hmm. And, you know, as someone who's like the proverbial, um, I don't know, like stoner who's not on any real sports teams, you know, I, th I definitely understand there's that, that, that watching what you say. I mean, the real reason I ask that, and this is, I love that we get to spend most of our time talking about community things is like, 
one of the things that I focus on and that you and I talk about a lot is making these genuine connections from mm. behind, you know, a cartoon drawing of a fictional character, um, you know, really reaching out and feeling like connected to people. I, and I feel like there are people who have, you know, found a way to really bridge that gap. I, I don't know if everyone can. Point I that grabbed my attention there was, you know, like how transactional the space mm -hmm. is. And maybe that is um, sort of a d dirty word because it is and it doesn't have to be. So sure. my mind is at is, you know, like, of course, we can make this completely PVP. And a lot of people do, you know, especially like the the traders, like, essentially yeah like their gain is someone's loss because there's someone on the other side but there's also you know simultaneously a dozen other games we could be playing so like this whole space we didn't get to like you know over two trillion dollars market cap if there was no real value being generated somehow and we could come together in a way where we can build things or create things that do have um lasting value and impact um, and in that sense i don't think it's transactional at all like um, i've been thinking a lot about how we can align people's incentives together be it you know the builders the community and the investors and yeah like absolutely it's hard to do but of course we can always do better and in an ideal world that, of course, I don't know how to get to exactly yet, um, <laughs> but I think we can be overall largely aligned through, you know, um, creating better systems, seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, sometimes that's through tokenomics, but other times it's just about building relationships and trust. Well, that's actually, I mean, that's kind of a great transition. You know, um, if, I mean, you are involved in so many things, um, but you had kind of called out Umami at the start. Um, you know, I I kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit if you if you're if you're cool with that, mainly because I feel like um, you know Umami. Hopefully, hopefully everyone listening knows about it because I I'm a big fan and and I think you've done a great job of promoting it. But if you wanted to kind of give like your elevator pitch of of what you're working on there. Uh, I sure. think there'd be a lot to dive into there. Wonderful, yeah. So um, the two-minute pitch about Umami is that it used to be an ohm fork. It accumulated a decent-sized treasury, and we've seen that you know the ohm model isn't quite sustainable, or at least it shouldn't be trading so high. So what all the um, ohm-based projects have decided is to sort of pivot away from that. And so how Umami is doing it we're located in the Arbitrum ecosystem, and we're trying to um, be the 3-3 spirit embodied by helping other projects succeed. So what does that look like exactly? So what I do for Umami is um, yield management. So one is we're managing the yield of our treasury to be very high yield while not being overly exposed to you know um, market movements. Um, so in that way, we're helping the people who decide to invest with us. Um, the other part is we're seeking out partnerships with almost all the projects on Arbitrum to try to see if, you know, we can collaborate on some strategies together. For example, like a lot of 
DeFi still lacks automation. And we have mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. great dev team over at Umami. So we're talking to these teams to see if, you know, if we can build any automatic vaults, you know, that saves the users gas fees, that auto compounds for them, and that, you know, helps also the other team, you know, um, have a better experience for their users because their devs are also at full bandwidth, you know? So in that sense, like we are trying our best to come up with things that really makes everyone win. And I think it's doable because we're kicking off a lot of partnerships. We have a lot of products in the works. Can I ask, you know, it's not to be controversial (laughs) in any way, but I think, you know, touching on, the origin of being an ohm fork, right? Like, do, there are so many. I think post mortem and post mortem might be a little, mm. a bit of a grand term because you know I don't think everything is dead yet. Um, but I do think that there was something culturally that happened around the inception of ohm mm. um, and the creation of all of these other sympathetic pro- projects. Some of which we see fail really spectacularly, right? Like Snowbank. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm now oh, poor. I'm now personally poor because of Snowbank. Um, I'm now personally poor because of Invictus. Um, you, you know, know Snow Dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Look. I mean, I thought that was funny, and then I immediately was like, "Well, I honestly do think this might mean that we're all fucked." But I, I you know, from from kind of a macro level, from like mm. the part of it that's interesting to me, because you know, and people can say whatever they want about the tokenomics, uh, about the structure. <laughs> It was that Ohm seemed to rely on some game theoretic assumptions that I don't think, you know, ended up being valid. And and mm. I think kind of my larger question is like, you know, if we have now witnessed that this the ponzonomics of these are not necessarily feasible and that cooperation is is not maybe going to be a hundred percent every time and, and that mm. the three three mentality was some could argue maybe like um uh inadvertently harmful right. to a lot of people you know how do we you know what you know is the question like how do we prove that we are different than this how do you, we keep going because umami you know umami mm-hmm. started as uh the zero to uh oh zero right two yep yeah so i always am just curious like repositioning in in an age where maybe the press has gotten a little bad or or the outlook is not as rosy is really mm-hmm. interesting to me um um, so yeah. you know, I wonder. I wonder, like, did you, you know, early on with with Ohm when you saw mm-hmm. this kind of meta happening, like, you know, you're a person who thinks a lot about sustainable yields. You're a person who thinks mm-hmm. a lot about delta yeah. neutral yields, and you're a person that thinks a lot about collaboration. Like, what did you think the first time mm-hmm. you saw the, you know, fucking yeah. three three bullshit oh. start? <laughs> so actually, Ohm was the start of my DeFi journey um, in the sense that I think it was. Um, after the summer of when did this start 2021 yeah so actually i've been on chain doing DeFi stuff for not that long Mm. actually for around half a year like before that i was mostly on centralized exchanges you know figuring out how to use bots to run strategies such as like indexing or a little bit of market making and then i figured out that the tokens there actually existed on these things called blockchains and they actually performed functions there and i started learning about them so seeing um, some videos about ohm it was really re- intriguing because these things never existed before you know either in real life or um, on the centralized exchanges and i just knew mm-hmm. that i had to <laughs> gamble a little bit and just participate <laughs> right um, because it felt like there was something there 
um, I didn't know enough at the time, but um, the system seems to have held up. Um, so I bought in and I've seen my net worth rise astronomically past that and then astronomically down again <laughs> because um, my thesis going into it was just the backing. Like, of course, people say, um, you know, you can't redeem treasury, but I think that's, uh, you know, everything's a meme. Like at the end, like the value of a token is just a meme. Prices are not real. It's just what they're currently trading at. Um, and essentially, I was just thinking that, you know, like, I'm getting more tokens over time, and each token has this base amount of value. So as long as I hold it long enough, I will have a huge amount of tokens worth a base value. And that was just my thesis going into it. I didn't care about any of the other stuff because mm -hmm. that seemed to make sense to me. So already before then, I knew I was in the long game, and that's why I didn't sell the top. But that's okay. No regrets. It was my strategy. I've never. Uh, it's okay. I've never sold the top yeah. in my life. I've only ever bought the top. <laughs> yeah. And um, essentially, like a quick post mortem, like my thought on it, like I'm not going to say whether Ohm has value or doesn't have value because I don't think that question really makes sense. Um, where I think my understanding of why it fell apart was that the incentives were not aligned. So the introduction of nine nine, which is when people um, deposit their ohm into Rari to borrow more money to buy ohm, that created this group of people who gained more yield than mm -hmm. the rest. And when you have two groups of people with different levels of yield, the group with higher yield is diluting the rest, right? And when that happens, like in a normal project, you call that unfair. And well, yeah, like it is unfair in the sense that not everyone's getting the same treatment, but this is a game we're playing. So the people who get higher yield, they must take profit at some point because, you know, like you're greedy, but you have to be greedy to take it back into profits. Um, so anyway, like once this whole mania started, which I do not understand why, I probably <laughs> think it's because of these 99 people, actually, um, because the amount of leverage introduced into the system was insane. So that drove prices up and it's sort of reflexive at that point. And on the way down, it's also reflexive. You know, as soon as the 99 people start selling, um, the 99 people who don't sell on time get liquidated, which is actually also another form of forced selling. And also just everyone who bought the top also started selling. Anyway, so the whole system comes down, but you know what, like at the end of it, like we're way below my entry price point from mm -hmm. like half a year ago, but I'm still up because the whole point was getting the rebases. Um, and yeah, like uh, another point there, it's um, kind of alpha alpha, but also just to be clear, nothing said here is financial advice. I'm not a financial <laughs> I mean, advice. I feel <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly yeah. nothing from me. Um, yeah. In fact, but, just counter trade mm -hmm. everything that I possibly <laughs> say here. Just do the fucking opposite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and basically, like another issue with Ohm is that if everyone staked, there's no liquidity. Like, of course, Ohm has a huge right. amount of protocol-owned liquidity. But what's actually even better is that if you incentivize Ohm to be paired with other tokens. Um, so like right now, what I am doing personally is I have a lot of wrapped Ohm, like GOM, paired with other tokens like ETH, AVAX, and Phantom. And they're earning a lot of yield. So this way, I'm reducing my exposure to GOM um, while actually earning more yield on it. And it's a pretty great system because when Ohm goes down in price, the portion of my LP that is earning yield increases. And if 
boom goes up in price, then well, <laughs> there's nothing to complain. Um, so you know, and also this helps the um, health of all the ecosystems because now every well everyone who LPs their gom becomes a productive asset earning yield, and it also becomes um, a contribution to the total amount of liquidity in the system. And the more liquidity there is, the harder it is to push price around. Sure. Yeah. So I think, like, you know, yeah. it's even <laughs> for someone like me who does absolutely does not understand mm. a lot of the very smart things. Like it, it does seem like liquidity as a service, right? Or liquidity mm -hmm. as a as a mechanism is like the way through this. And I, and I feel like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it, it does feel like that is kind of where Umami mm -hmm. is heading is, is really utilizing their assets, their treasury yeah. assets to try and provide and fill these liquidity gaps and, and generate yield off of it. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you see like the evolution of these platforms of, of Ohm forks, maybe even of Ohm itself as moving in that kind of more, I don't want to say straightforward of a direction, but more mm -hmm. of a, a mechanism by which somebody marinates in the case of umami and receives yield, and that's kind of the end of they they don't have they don't have to formulate a delta neutral LP farming strategy on their own. They're more just buying into uh, a product, I guess. In in a roundabout way, is that like mm -hmm. what you think the future, like where we're headed? Yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, like there's only. Um, I'm going to guess a few hundred people in crypto who actually think about um, how to come up with, uh, you know, like strategies that could be automated and scaled. Um, and it's like, yeah, like at the end of the day, what most other people want is to do things with their lives. They don't want to yeah. be staring at yeah. charts. They don't want to be, you know, trying to figure out how DeFi money Legos work, where the potential downfalls are, what the risks are. Like they want... so. Money to me and to a lot of people is freedom to do other things. Completely, and, yeah. Right. And like um, sort of slightly off topic, but the whole reason I'm in DeFi is one, that it's interesting to me, it clicks for me, but also my end goal is to come up with, um, you know, like strategies or products that everyone can use as a way to preserve their life savings or even to grow wealth so then they can be freed up to pursue whatever it is they wish to pursue to never have to be coerced by life circumstances into mm -hmm. situations they don't want to be in um so yeah like that aside like a lot of these um projects including umami like our goal is to sort of um start building up towards that like that is still a very lofty goal so we're just building um i wouldn't say small but it's like um little stepping stones towards getting us there like each product we build like eventually the whole vision will come together we will have like this integrated DeFi where everyone can just come in with either um stable coins ETH, or whatever tokens or even just a credit card and we'll be able to zap them into a vault and they will know like roughly what the risks are, what the returns are, and then they can uh, go about their lives without worrying too much. Do you think like the hesitation for some people, and I and I feel like this is a mm. common hesitation, is well, I already have so little money. Mm. How do I? How I, they wanted to grow fast, right? Everyone's looking for that yes. big come up. Yes. But as a as like a you know an investor facing product at the end of mm. the day because that's what it is you know, um, and certainly when we've talked about it before like this is it, it is a yield bearing 
you know, investment vehicle at the end of the day mm -hmm. is where these things are heading. And and stripping away the elements of complexity, I think, are like the key ways to get right. If people are are, are buying with a credit card, mm -hmm. right, you have to remove as many layers of ambiguity as as humanly yes. possible, right? You have to make it simple. Uh, that's something I you know do a lot of mm -hmm. in my day job is how do you onboard these people who are non crypto natives into the system, right? Do you, you know, and and certainly I think you know looking at the APY that Olympus, that Snowbank, that the you know these X million whatever APYs, <laughs> right? I mean, should that have been a, a red flag to us? Do you think you know should that have maybe been mm -hmm. something that we should have been more concerned about? Yeah. So this is something um, I don't have my mind made up yet regarding mm -hmm. how much safety rails we should put for people um because like again like i'm into the idea of a permissionless space like people should be allowed to ape into whatever it is that they want like, right with as little due diligence as they want because after all we allow people to gamble in the casinos <laughs> like how is this any different or like any yeah. worse than that right like people well first of all it's like freedom freedom to do what they want but at the same time it's like i really wish people um were a little more conservative yeah <laughs> regarding yeah. like their choices um because yeah like when you look at something that is so outlandish it should trigger some um i want to say not <laughs> red flags but that's I, yeah. to to really understand what's going on um and yeah like just one small note on that it's like apys are not real um, right because a lot of it is just things being printed out of nowhere and it's just a number calculated based on the current value of the token but yeah like long term anything with a high apy if there's nothing underneath it it goes to zero um well, yeah. and I guess that's you know that's interesting if we if we're talking about the the it's a non crypto consumer for mm -hmm. a minute that's that's seen the one yes. percent savings account that is theoretically supposed to do yes. anything for them, which is absolutely not. You're not even mm -hmm. beating inflation, right? Do you think there is um, is there a middle ground there? Because I, oh, I you know I feel like your your biggest yeah. DeFi heads, your like biggest mm -hmm. yield mercenaries, right? Yes. They're looking for those insane percentages. Gotcha. Even, and yeah. they can take advantage of them. Yeah. Is so, there is there a world where we have, I, I think yes. what Umami right now is 45, 49%. Is that yeah. maybe like, you know, more realistic, mm -hmm. or not even realistic. Is that something that does not seem outlandish? Right. So I think where this goes is um, why we get such high APYs is because we're experimenting. Everything is experimental. So of course there are risks involved and some of that risk is completely unquantifiable. Like some black swans, we just don't know how likely they are to occur. For example, you know, there could always be a new hack out on some like fundamental um, ETH function like or library like the next day. Like we just don't know. There are too many smart people out there both changing things for the better and perhaps for the worse. Um, but what I do want to say is um, there is a useful way to think about it where we can transfer risk onto people for a price. So for example, we can um, 
do multiple layers of this. So uh, just hypothetically, we can have umami on the top, where like this is completely experimental. Like we say that it's overall pretty much delta neutral, and it gives this pretty high insane yield. But below that, we can have partners, for example, like centralized um, finance apps who say, okay, well, we're actually just going to promise our users half of that, and we're willing right. to take the residual, um, whatever uh, excess or deficit that comes out to be. And so in that sense, like we could, at the end of the day, give users a fixed yield. And that is going to be high, much higher in comparison to their less than 1% in a bank account. And um, we can have the centralized entities in between um, who are regulated and follows all the proper um, consumer protection rules such that um, the investors' funds, like the end user, the retail, they're protected. And I think that would be at least a good next step for mm. DeFi to evolve into. Yeah. So the, then the people, sorry. So the people can choose at which level of degeneracy and risk taking they want to take. Is that you think that's the end game? Because I or not the end game, but I think next step mm -hmm. is the right thing. Do you think the next step is having these traditional finance institutions recognizing the possibility for yield um, above and beyond what they've had before mm -hmm. and repackaging it as as a product? I mean, I get you know that's kind of a, a, a broad question, but mm -hmm. umami could function in a way hypothetically, or or any kind of similar product could function in a way yeah. that it is essentially the back end yield generation yeah. for. Yeah. Uh, a company, right? That that's then right. making that. So I think um, there are two parts. Like one is that I have definitely seen several examples of centralized exchanges or centralized financial apps starting to do this, where um, they're the middleman between a DeFi mm -hmm. yield source and the retail, and they're coming up with some sort of give and take in the middle with some um, insurance promises, things like that. Um, and yeah, um, currently they're quite small because I guess like. Um, to be 100% compliant with like the strictest rules, it's still quite difficult. And I think that's why the large institutions have not gotten in yet. But where we could see the end game goal, sorry, end game goal, is that um, we can have decentralized versions of everything in between. So for example, like we have decentralized contracts that allow people to um, split up risk. So we have like, um, apps that do like uh, what do they call them like tranches of risk mm -hmm. like senior and junior tranche um, so we have a decentralized way to parse that out we also have decentralized insurance protocols um, they're still growing they're still quite young but my hope is that you know like at the minimum we have all these parts now and once they grow to a certain maturity the um, minimum we can do is sort of assemble them together exactly as it mirrored in TradFi. Sure. And we can have this system work as it does in TradFi now, but just decentralized. Um, but maybe there are even better things we can do on top. And I think I'm happy I, to uh, share some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's, 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 I, I mean, at this point, I'm more or less just like taking in all okay. of the uh, all of the help yeah. you're giving. I mean, if I had one just like quick aside sure. question, do you think like we've been seeing um, decentralized verifiable identity mm -hmm. um, become become a topic either through things like NFTs, um, PO apps, or um, 
the new one, Ver Verite, Verite. I don't yep. know if you saw this the other day, right? So all of these, to me, right, coming from a corporate world, the intention with these is to is to mitigate on some level a, a county, counterparty risk, hmm. um, like a, a sanctions level, a money laundering level. And, and when we talk about strict compliance, right, it's, you know, the lending rates on, say, Ave look really mm -hmm. appealing to um, to Morgan Stanley, let's just mm -hmm. say, whatever. They, to try and stay compliant, right, have to know something about who they're lending with, or they have to know something about who mm -hmm. they're borrowing from, et cetera, or what they're going to mm -hmm. get to bed with. So I think, you know, all of these steps of of trying to apply identities is like the precursor to this. And, and I think it is like a direct way for TradFi to try and make entrances because they can go, well, we are interacting with this protocol that requires this certain level of decentralized identity verification somewhere down the line. Right. So we have eliminated the risk on our end. So we are in, in terms of legal compliance, regulatory right. compliance, we are uh, protected, our users are protected. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, is that like not the end of everything in a certain way, right? Because right. when the suits show up and they want to know, mm. well, where are you getting your money? Where does it go? You know, like yeah. where that that puts everything into kind of almost right back where we were uh, mm -hmm. 10 years ago. I see what you mean. Um, so, uh, okay, well, okay, I'm just going to preface this with, I might completely be wrong. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's like, maybe we'll have, you know, these two separate, financial systems coexisting mm -hmm. on the blockchain um, and much sim very similar to how we have in the real world a tracked financial system and an untracked one the untracked one being you know like either a cash system or even back to just bargaining or bartering sorry not bargaining <laughs> um, but yeah like we have already examples of how we can get um, this very monitored and regulated space versus a, a sort of underground shadow economy um, coexisting in the real world and on the blockchain how i think that could play out is you have these institutions who want kyc and they want all their users to follow these so everything is above board and i think that's perfectly fine uh, i totally welcome tradfi to come into the space and also like buy our bags please um, i mean that's the, i mean that's the real goal right we gotta unload on somebody it might as well be them <laughs> exactly but also like for um for the to achieve the same benefits on blockchain as you know for example like credit lending like um under collateralized like i think that's actually doable um again like those mechanisms may or may not exist but um i'm thinking about let's say gearbox where you have these mm. accounts that have multi-party control and on the other side let's say uh, I don't know exactly how Gearbox works, but how I imagine it to work is that the smart contract can liquidate everything inside this if it falls under some certain conditions. For example, the total value falling below a certain value. And in that sense, then, like we can have mechanisms to achieve all the same functions in TradFi. We just need to be a little smarter about how we do it. And I think, like again, Gearbox is a great example where they found a way to achieve, like basically, like getting a lot of credit um, without needing the person to put down a huge amount of collateral, without needing to KYC. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, the idea of having this two-pronged system 
makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's kind of inevitable where it's heading in, in mm -hmm. that place. I mean, I wonder, you know, there are definitely those purists among us um, mm -hmm. who don't want any TradFi money. And I, I definitely welcome just any more entrance into the space. You know, at the same time, though, you know, it, it feels like we are now more and, and particularly protocols that are, are giving some type of yield to users are under the gun and un under the regulatory gaze more than they have ever been. I, you know, I think even for these centralized exchanges, like the, what was it, the Coinbase 4% APY, mm. whatever. Um, yeah. I think, you know, do you think that the government is just like, they're so far in over their heads that they can't even, you know, um, begin to understand how they would start yeah. regulating something that is a, you know, go look at any tulip farm, for example, like, right. you know, something that is that is generating a, a leverage farm that's that's pumping out 6,000% right. APY. Um, I mean, I'm not deeply involved in the political space. And I actually haven't talked to any political people like, you know, like, um, for any of my friends I've talked to, if you're a Fed, please let me know. So I can <laughs> finally ask yeah. you. There's, how, there's how at least one you. Fed in the group chat, for sure. Yeah. And essentially, like I'm just purely speculating here, it's that um, governments are afraid um, in mm. the sense that this is money they don't control. And it's not like a new concept to them, you know, like each country mostly controls their own currency. And right. They are very wary of all the other national currencies and how that interplays with um, their own economies, basically. Um, and right now, crypto is still very small compared to that. but let's say crypto rises what and already has to a market cap or the economic activity of small nations um, if this trend continues like crypto on its own is going to be a digital sovereign economy i guess and all the governments will have to figure out a way to have um, economic policies against it like so for example like we can consider um, what happened to coinbase or something as sort of like economic sanctions like you're not allowed to do this mm -hmm. like, and whether that's like um, legally good or bad, I don't know enough about. But um, it's totally understandable. Like countries sanctioning each other over political reasons all the time. Um, and yeah, like uh, as smarter people than me have said, like maybe this is actually good news in the sense that um, they're taking us very seriously. Yeah, sure. they're not um, ignoring us anymore. Yeah, I, you know, the side of regulatory clarity is, I mean, that that is the big question. I think that's why, you know, there's still so much hinging on the XRP uh, uh, case with the SEC. I just, you know, it 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 really seems to me as though a a big change is going to come. Not to speak like broadly and abstractly, but mm -hmm. where where protocols, you know, kind of the, the type that we work on and we talk about, they right. are going to either be championed by the financial system or they're going to be targeted and you know it's just a matter of time to see that sounded very grim that sounded very <laughs> fatal you know let it's, me it's... let me offer a potential utopia uh too idealistic <laughs> maybe but you know again like if we can help people achieve financial independence that should also translate to um freedom of all the other things such as mm -hmm. movement where to live um because once you can um have enough to sort of start over without worry or fear like if a particular government or set of policies disagree with someone then they have the option to just pack up and leave and with like um 
on-chain money, self-sovereign money, like that has never been easier. And I hope that, you know, with the advance of the different um, yields and like savings method we come up with, like um, maybe it's not going to be overnight, but more and more we're going to lift people, especially the people who feel like they don't have options into a place where they feel like they do. And if they choose to act on them, then yeah, like I don't think the governments are going to um, be able to enforce like people not entering and exiting. Anyway, like, that that's just way too dystopic. Um, if we ever get to that point, <laughs> I mean, we'll be having a different conversation. <laughs> right, and, I, and you know, I do think that as the end goal is, I mean, idealistic, yes, but also I think what mm-hmm. most people genuinely and deeply want. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, kind of fun aside question, if you could go and start over anywhere else, where would it be? Oh, um, yeah. So right now, the few places I really want to visit and I haven't, is Japan, Singapore, and Australia. What a, um, what a shock. An anime profile picture person wanting to go to Japan. It, <laughs> uh, I mean, my, same, it's literally the same answer. I, you know, the reason I ask is I feel like, you know, so many people are in this for so many different reasons. Um, be they like concrete um, or, you know, abstract. And it really sounds to me like yours your like essential goal is like is is self-sovereignty is freedom is that would you say that's true yes because um again crypto has given me the power to make choices in my life that i felt like were not possible before and it has been such a freeing and empowering concept even like you know like um it's the difference between um being helpless versus being able to help yourself. Like, even if you choose to do nothing, like knowing the difference in your head makes a huge difference, I think. Um, And yeah, so like the absolute end goal of it all for me is for people to be free in whatever sense of free it means for them. Um, But the most achievable part that I can influence is finding better ways for people to um, preserve and grow their wealth and hopefully other freedoms follow. I think that's such a great mission statement. <laughs> put, that, put, that on the, put that on the Twitter bio. Um, I just did a little mark there. I do have some fun questions if you wanted to go into a little lightning round of, of light stuff. Otherwise, we can right. spend a little more time on <laughs> deeper stuff. But I, <laughs> I don't know if we want to go too far over an hour. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do it. Lightning okay. round. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, uh, and Mark. Um, so for fun questions, just as off the top of your head, mm. just gonna throw them at you. Um, Who is your favorite poster on crypto Twitter? Doesn't matter how big they are, but like inevitably make make your their tweets yeah. make your day when you see them. <laughs> um, right. So for this, I actually have to say. Uh, Indigo, um, because he has been a <laughs> tremendous influence on my crypto Twitter experience. Like one of the first posts I ever saw from him was just about getting stummy DMs, and I was like, "What is a stummy?" And things just went wow, downhill. Yeah. It's funny. I really don't want uh, that to be the answer slightly because it's just going to be a uh, simp chat. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I feel that, no, mine is the exact same way. Um, 
yeah would you would you say that you took a lot of like uh i don't know inspiration or, or like kind of early one of my questions I actually had to you is like somebody who you think made a big impact on you yeah um sorry would you say that it would be Indy? he's gonna love to hear that oh yeah um for sure <laughs> so like um we've actually talked quite a lot and it spanned a whole lot of topics and it made me realize like how dynamic the space is like i had no mm -hmm. idea who he is like, even still like it's just some well, purple well, hair. Well, we, we know we, we know what some people we know who some people think he is. Yeah, uh, yeah. You yeah. know, maybe like a certain group certain of founder of L one. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Like um, the idea is like we talked about things ranging from like the deepest crypto technologies, like especially like row ups and um, MEV, all the way down to you know like again like poetry, cooking, and some just fun things in life or not so fun things in life. That's, it's a, I feel, you know, I mean, you couldn't kind of ask for a better introduction to our specific corner of the space than our own uh, kind of pseudo celebrity himself. <laughs> um, <laughs> favorite, favorite project that you're not working on, you know, what, a project that you like to look at that you think is like particularly inspiring or doing something right? Hmm. I mean, I have to show my bags, but um, um, yeah, sort of like Tokamak. Like, um, yeah. it's so big brain for me that when I first heard about it, I just knew I had to put some money into it. I don't exactly understand what's happening under the hood. Um, but yeah, like, um, to. I admit that my brain isn't that big. There's a lot in the space I don't understand. I do my best to try to figure out like what's the general idea and hope that it works to the degree and I assume it does. And uh, I don't know, I'm sort of rambling, but it's like- No, um, I mean, it's a good, I mean, it is, I think that's a very good answer. And I yeah. also think that's a lot of people's answers. It's definitely one of my answers. Like I have yeah. even less idea. Um, about how it works, but I, I right. feel like I can't. I can't look away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like. Um, so the point is not about whether it actually is going to work or how profitable. It's just an idea that I've never heard before, and it's so, I guess, complicated and elegant that it makes me really curious to want to learn more. And I have dug into it like quite a bit, and I have to still admit that I don't understand it all. And you know, that's sort of like the beauty of it, right? Like. Um, if we have to draw analogies, it's like, how well do most of us really understand a blockchain? Like, what does it right. take to make a block? Like, how, how do the hashing algorithms work? Like, or like how like proof of stake actually, how, how the stake actually works and what the hashing, like, again, like, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely no idea. About yeah, it. like yeah. all these things, they actually go so deep. Um, and it's like, even as a non-technical person, sometimes you see something and it just makes you so curious to find out more. And I think that's the the beauty of like this whole system. And I'm just using Tokamak as like the one that came to mind. Mm -hmm. uh, who do you think is the most underrated uh, player in the game? Uh, like what person do you think does not get nearly enough credit either for their, their writing or their great takes or what they're building, or what they're coding? Who do you think deserves uh, a little more recognition? Um, 
Can I say you? I mean, if you're going to say that, then you have to defend that. that yeah, piece so, gonna... so I'm going to defend it in the sense that, you know, like you're one of the most cultured people I've met in the sense that like not only do you like anime stuff, but you dig into the classics of multiple, multiple um, literary genres or I, I don't even know how to call them um, different from different cultural and historical backgrounds. Like it's so diverse and interesting and you are bringing something new into the space that you know for example with your gogawa poetry club like it's very inspiring to see like you i just remember that one day you messaged me and it's like okay i'm working on something i'm trying something out with nft markets and i was like oh okay uh i, I wonder like what he's gonna do and then it's like the next day it's like karn i have something it's gonna work and it's like what? <laughs> I, that doesn't just happen, you know? Like, um, you, yeah, I feel like you make a lot of things happen. And that's one of the things I really love. See, um, just people having ideas and just running with them. And, like, you know, like poetry NFTs. That is a crazy idea. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's, it's really, that's what's going to lift me up out of abject poverty is the, is the, is the haiku right, right. Uh, uh, kimono textile yeah. work. I mean, you know, not in a, uh, ever to sound self-deprecating, you know, I was kind of, I realized as I asked that question, I'm like, damn, what happens if Karn says me? That it does kind of look like I put together this whole podcast. Oh, just, I'm like, so just yeah, I'm like kicking my feet in the air, being like, "Who do you think? Who do you think is the coolest person at school?" Um, yeah, I that's have right. a no, cue that's... card in front of me that says the answer is kids. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a script this whole time, and it all leads to that. Well, no, yeah. that is very kind of you to say. You know, it's it's mm. funny. I, I feel like I have this very strong. Um, desire for community is something that we talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. I have this very strong desire to find a place to belong. And I, I feel very fortunate in, in the places that we found it. But, you know, I, do, mm -hmm. I definitely think it was um, a real question for me of, all right, I'm, I'm not a technical person. I'm also not mm -hmm. a trader. I, I am not particularly good at generating yield. Mm -hmm. So the poetry, just like, you know, governance writing, um, right. or, or, you know, you make a lot of, uh, points about how much I love bureaucracy. Like those things all felt within my wheelhouse that, that I could do. So, right. But yeah, um, I mean, it was, I, you know, I can't, I really can't take credit for the poetry thing because it, it was um, so much based on our conversations. And, uh, you know, I remember early on uh, <laughs> you and I just trading uh, like funny poems in, in, in the public square. So that's, I mean, I'm, I'm honored. I'm, I'm honored to, to be considered. Right. Hopefully one day I'll be rated. I don't need to be overrated, but I would love to not be underrated. You know, yeah. I want to get that <laughs> just a couple more inverse bra retweets. Uh, oh, for sure. We're going to make it to the top. Um, what's your oh, favorite um, cocktail? Oh, oh, what I'm drinking now actually is my favorite. So I have a drink okay. in front of me. It's a Moscow meal. I like it with okay, a little more ginger spicy taste i always feel like you can tell a lot about a person from their favorite cocktail why is it your favorite cocktail oh um hmm. so um i don't like alcohol that's too bitter or burning and this one is like chilled and sort of citrusy and it sits just right um and i also think cocktails with a little bit of sweet and spice really make it pop yeah <laughs> that's a good answer um, sort of like 
personality. I like to be sweet, but a little bit spicy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's about as good an answer on that as possible. Well, if there's anything else that you kind of wanted to conclude with, um, any plugs you want to make, any mm. shout outs, any yeah, um, thoughts? So just one more thought as we answered the question before the cocktail one. It's like this, I guess, um, misconception that people in this space are traders. I know for a fact that most people <laughs> in this space are not traders. Yeah. And most people in the space are not technical. So what the heck is it that we do, right? And the basic thing is we work together. Um, there is a lot of work, a lot of different tasks and responsibilities and roles into you know making things happen. Like you don't just like put a dev in a basement and they come out with brand new products. You need people there to support them. And support, I guess, is a word that gets also a little bit of a bad rap because um, what working together is is just people supporting each other. It's not that you know the VCs are on top or like the lead devs are on top. It's everyone can contribute something that they're good at or that nobody else is willing to do, and everything must be done for the project to work together smoothly and as a whole. So like if you're um, someone in this space who's listening to this and you don't have like the confidence or the knowledge to say like, oh, I know exactly what I want to do, but I just know like this space is interesting. I want to be here. Like, please, please feel free to reach out to me or, you know, to kids and our friends. Like we'd love to, you know, help get to know you a little better and see if like where we can help you go, like what your um, future ambitions are. Like we love to help people do that. And you know, for me personally, it's because these people that I've met early on, like you, like Indy, who've um, really given me welcome into the space when I have done nothing to really deserve it. Like that was <laughs> very generous and kind. And in a way, like I'm doing my best to also pay it forward. I think that's a great, that's a great take. <laughs> I think, and I think as a great like call to arms is a great message. Mm -hmm. and And that's like, I think that is so emblematic of, of your work and, and what you do and, and, and kind of uh, the way that you engage people. Um, and I think that is really the greatest strength. And, you know, I hope no one else does uh, poetry NFTs because I don't need the competition. But <laughs> if anybody, please reach out to either of us, to anyone to just start building. I think maybe that's like the core aspect of it for me, which is, you know, not imagining that you don't have the skills is helping mm -hmm. no one you have something to contribute and so everyone everyone should in one way or another and there's nothing like taking the leap and then you know creating an anonymous account one day and ending up making a great amount of friends who you get to collaborate with i think that is a great great joy and pleasure it certainly has been personally so absolutely <laughs> all right well with that in mind uh carnation thank you so much for joining me and, and sharing your time and sharing your wisdom um Please, everybody, go follow Carnation on Twitter. Keep an eye out for those amazing articles. Um, go follow Umami. I, I'm, I'm sure that there's so much in the works right now that it's impossible to kind of even touch on all of them. But yeah, just wanted to thank you again for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you, kids. All right. Well, everybody, hopefully we'll have another episode up soon on the off chance that I, I haven't completely destroyed this recording and decide to quit before I've ever even began. Um, and hopefully try and do this again uh, 
next week or two. So thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next time.